Welcome back, everybody, to the Ministry of Slam, the UK's number one pro wrestling radio show. And with us this week, um, we've been after this guy on the show for a long time. Absolute legend, of course, WWE Hall of Famer, class of 2006, uh, five-time WWE champion, WCW world champion. He's held tag team titles, US title. Of course, the Intercontinental Championship. Who could forget that? The legendary, one and only, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, Brett the Hitman Heart. Brett, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Awesome. Great to, great to hear from you. And as I say, it's great to finally have you on our show. Now, um, obviously, everyone knows the Bret Hart name and the Bret Hart legacy. But um, bringing us um, you know, right up to date, you've, you've recently made some appearances with Ring of Honor. Um, tell us how the, uh, the agreement with Ring of Honor came about and your experiences with their company. Well, you know, I know a lot of the wrestlers that uh, uh, you know have gone through uh, Ring of Honor, and it's a it's a place where young wrestlers are getting their their a lot of them are getting their starts. You know, if you look at guys like AJ Styles and Teddy Hart and Samoa Joe and some of these guys that have start they all started out there. So I've always kind of had a sort of a modest respect for them. The fact that it's a uh, not an easy thing for a young small company to sort of compete with uh, WWF or TNA for that matter. Yeah. So I just thought uh, that they approached me about uh, helping them and I said I'd be happy to help them and uh, it's been a nice, we've had a good relationship. Now, Ric Flair was also uh, recently involved with Ring of Honor and over the past few years you two have had quite the war of words with him. Um, he is coming out of retirement later in the year for the Hulk Hogan tour of Australia. Have you been approached to be a part of the Hulkamania tour? No, I I haven't, and I doubt that I will. I don't know what I could do for them anyway. You know, there's not much I could do for them. Same with uh, most wrestling companies. I, mean, I have a limited role that I can play. <clears throat> My uh, strongest suit, which isn't always uh, easy to sort of uh, sell, is that I have a lot of fans around the world that uh, love to see me and like to come out and see me, and that that seems to help uh, boost attendance for for things like Ring of Honor. But for something like uh, what Hogan is doing in Australia, um, I don't think I would be of much use to him. Plus, uh, it's sort of it's nice to see an icon come out once in a while, kind of thing. Like if I do something with Ring of Honor, I know people like to label some of us as icons, and I, I like to feel. I'm one of them, and uh, I'm sure with Hogan's tour, that Hogan and Flair both being icons of wrestling, I think uh, you know they don't need another one. As you quite rightly mentioned, that you are an icon in professional wrestling. With Hogan's retirement tour or um, the tour that he's promoting in Australia, would you consider doing one farewell tour? Maybe not, obviously in the ring, because obviously we know you, you are retired from active in ring. Would you be willing to do a tour to go around Australia or the U.S. or the U.K., for example? Oh, I think I, yeah, I would be happy to go around, uh, depending on how it was structured and what type of tour it is. I mean, anything that gave me an opportunity to, you know, see my fans or, you know, to do something positive. Um, 
you know, I like I like getting back on the road sometimes and doing a little touring and doing the odd appearance here and there. And I really do uh, like getting in touch with my fans, like the American Rampage tours that I've done in the past, plus this next one coming up. For me, it's a, uh, always a great opportunity just to see my fans, and not just in wrestling-related circumstances. My my book signings that I've done this past year, even in places like Scotland and stuff, have been really, um, you know, in their own little way, they're quite special for me because I get to see uh, so many fans that you'd think would have forgot all about you by now, but they... They've, uh, my book tours have been, in Europe, especially, have been just uh, you know really heartwarming to see how many people uh, have come out for me. Okay, and uh, another thing we wanted to touch on before we we moved away from the the Ring of Honor uh, topic is um, the fact that they're they're one of the few companies who's still doing um, ladder matches and and just keeping it to a basic ladder match. And of course, you're one of the innovators, one of the original guys involved in in making uh, ladder matches mainstream. What are your thoughts on the the, the evolution of the, the ladder match? As, as we say, Ring of Honor are, are sticking to a normal ladder match, but there have been TLC matches and uh, matches involving, you know, about 20 different ladders, it seems, at times, and, and lots more interactivity with the ladder in the ring. What are your thoughts on the, the direction of a ladder match um, as it's uh, sort of evolved from, from when you were, you were doing them? Well, it seems to me that, uh, you know, in recent years and in, Maybe in, as the wrestling's evolved, there's been a lot of uh, pushing the envelope sort of thing with with uh, hardcore kind of matches and dangerous things that go on in wrestling. And uh, you know, I think that's just uh, just the way it is. But I think anytime you can uh, stretch your imagination and come up with more creative, uh, you know, things for for wrestling matches, the better. But safety needs to always be a priority. And you know, I don't think anybody, including the fans, want anyone to break their neck for real or anything like that. And I, I think in pushing that envelope all the time, you have to be careful that some, someone doesn't go too far one of these days. And finally, just before we do move off Ring of Honor, two of the, the biggest mainstays in the company, Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson, have just signed with Vince and WWE. Do you think that's a good move for them? Do you think they're going to be, uh, from your experience of working with those two in Ring of Honor, do you think they're going to do well in WWE? I, I think um, you can't stop talent, and I think they got lots of talent. And I think, um, I'm sure even Ring of Honor, as much as they hate losing two of their key guys, um, they also understand that uh, going to the WWE is sort of the, that's, that's the pinnacle. That's the, you know, that's, that's like Major League... Uh, you get to the top of the mountain kind of thing. And, you know, hopefully it'll work out for them there. But there's no promises. And sometimes WWE isn't, isn't always the most pleasant experience. But, I mean, generally speaking, if you want to make a name for yourself in wrestling, you want to be in the WWE. Now, moving away from Ring of Honor and primarily the WWE, you mentioned your book. Now, talk to us a bit more about it. Did it's been one of the, the most international bestsellers worldwide. Both uh, Lee and myself have got a copy. We've read it from cover to cover. One of the, the best, if not the best, wrestling autobiography released. Did writing it help you get closure on your wrestling career? Um, oh, yeah, for sure it did. It, um, it was a catharsis. You know, like you, I don't know that I'd set out to, to, to write such a heavy book or such a a long book, but I mean, I, I knew that I had a story to tell, and I sometimes like to think that my book was, um, you know, it was there was some divine intervention sometimes, 
and uh, sometimes I wrote. It just came out like it was like it just poured out sometimes, and I sometimes when I read my own book back, I go, "Geez, I really wrote some great stuff, and it was really well written, and it came right from the heart." And uh, I don't know how anybody could have been more committed to to a writing project than I was. I know Mick Foley wrote a great book, but I mean most of the wrestling books that have come out in wrestling are are really manufactured by the wrestling industry and they have little to do with the truth and uh be it Hogan or Ric Flair or whoever has written these books, even Shawn Michaels books, most of them are rubbish that you could use for firewood. <laughs> um you, you don't get anything you don't get any truth. You don't get even uh, the truth about them or their feelings or, or anything. Whereas in my book, I think you get you get a whole dose of the truth. I mean, I think you get the dose on a dose of the truth on every page. Like there's truth in in so many ways that come out about the life of being a wrestler, the good and the bad, and the funny and uh, you know, it's a, it's a book filled with all kinds of different um sort of um um there's a different vibe to all all different parts of it and I'll, i think i'll always be more proud of my book than i have than i am of anything else i ever accomplished or did i mean it was just it was a work of passion i put a lot into it and uh it, it shows it came out and i i remember my business manager at the time wanted me to have it out in a few weeks I remember telling him, I said, there's no way I can have this out in a few weeks. He goes, well, just, just, you know, we're going to get it done real fast because right now books are hot. And maybe when Mick Foley's book came out, it would have been a good idea to, if I could have launched my book around the same time because there's a lot of interest in wrestling then. But that's just not how I work. I don't work on the principle of what generates the most money. I, I work on a principle of uh, a love for the passion and the project itself. You know, and I I took my time with my book, and the reason my book I think is special is because it's it is the truth, and um, I took my time with it and told it told the story the right way instead of um, <clears throat> fudging the facts or uh, trying to tell somebody else what I've went through and letting him put it into words because I don't think you quite get the truth that that way either. There were rumors when your book was first announced that it was going to be being released, that it was going to be one of a series of releases from yourself. Is that still the case or is this it? This is the ultimate Bible now for Bret Hart. Is there a sequel in the works? Um, well, I think I can probably come up with a second book. I'm working on the, that concept, but I wouldn't want to fool anybody. I think it's all in the first book. I might have some additional stories and I might have some, you know, some notable things have happened in wrestling, uh, you know, since my book was written and since it's come out, um, like you know, I, I completely um, um, I didn't address anything that happened as far as uh, Chris Benoit, and I know quite a bit about his uh, tragedy and have thoughts about that. And I think I may be in a position someday to sort of take snippets of uh, things that I didn't use in the first book from my original manuscript and to piece things from things that have happened, uh, you know, on tours. Like last year when I was in France and Ireland with Test, um, that was a um, a fun experience for me. I felt like I was back on the road again, and I had a lot of great memories from that trip as I'm looking forward to the next one in Germany. Um, but 
but I think there's always room. There's always if you got enough, if you find things that are interesting. You know, in a lot of ways, I was a good storyteller in the ring, and I think I'm a good storyteller in my writing. And uh, you know, you can find lots of interesting stories that don't have to necessarily um, go along with uh, me wrestling anymore. Now, there's um, one specific part of the book which I particularly enjoyed, which was um, the circumstances in and around your bout with uh, Davy Boy Smith, SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium. I was I was at Wembley Stadium for that match, and it was great reading uh, everything from your point of view. And, um, of course, when, you, when you're that sort of age, I mean, I was a teenager at the time, and you see it on TV, you wouldn't know anything had even remotely uh, gone astray or anything like that. But, again, reading your uh, your words and knowing that uh, Davy was, you know, really blown up early in the match and, you know, a couple of the moves that, that you know, he went blank and, and things like that, they and you watch the match back again and uh you know you you can just about pick up on on some of those bits and pieces but my question uh about that is how much time did you spend uh, sort of going back and reviewing footage of matches to to jog your memory it must have been hours um well it took me seven years to write that book so i mean you can yeah. kind of take it from there but i i um you know i always um wanted people to sort of, uh, in the writing of my book, I always wanted people to know what it was like to be in my shoes. And mm. that match you just talked about with Davey, for example, I've always thought it was my my greatest match or maybe my finest hour in the sense that I had to kind of carry my brother-in-law and, and do it in a way where it wasn't noticeable and uh, do it out of the love for him and do it out of love for the business and the, and the wrestling itself. And, uh, you know, more like you said, most people wouldn't have even noticed that, and uh, it was, um, you know, maybe it was better left unsaid in some ways. But I thought it was important for people to understand what being a great worker is, and uh, mm. you know, people always size up or judge the world champion, you know, and you can look at champions before and after me, and uh, you know, if you look at my uh, sort of track record of, of matches. Uh, I was always able to sort of pull a good match out of just about anybody, whether it was Isaac Yankum or Jerry Lawler or Bob Backlund. Or, you know, I worked a lot of different styles, a lot of different guys. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of my sort of, um, you know, my whole history. Like, you can look at everything I did and sort of go, there's not too many stinkaroos matches on my, uh, on my watch all the time. I was whether I was working for my dad or I was wrestling in England or whether I was wrestling in uh, New Zealand or wherever I was even before I got to WF, I was always pretty conscious of uh, the camera and that it's always for prosperity's sake you want to have the best match you can because someday someone will be watching it back. And I did that. I, you know, I look at champions like Shawn Michaels or you know, you can look at almost all kinds of guys, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, look at them and go, <clears throat> I don't know if uh, the Ultimate Warrior could have worked with Bob Backlund. You know, I don't know that he could have had any kind of match whatsoever. Like, it's, yeah. like it's impossible. It's like, just forget it. Like, it's not going to happen. And even Shawn Michaels, I don't think Shawn Michaels, you know, could have had the same matches with guys like Kikuchi. And, you know, it's different if you can pick every guy you work with, which is kind of like what Shawn did. Um, I never was like that. I... My my goal or role as champion was to work with anybody uh, that uh, the company deemed uh, 
worthy or the thought that could draw the most money with me, which was always the whole, always the, the the whole principle or idea behind wrestling. And uh, you know, I never ever wavered there. I was always, no matter who they threw me in with, I did my best. To, and I think if you look at my history, also you look and be it Kevin Nash or uh, you know so many wrestlers I know from Mr. Perfect and Roddy Piper and Bulldog and my brother Owen would tell you hands down that the greatest match they ever had in their careers or their lives was with me. And I'm proud of that. I'm, I mean, I'm very proud of that. I tried to do that for the guys I worked with. I always tried to bring out their best. And I know even Steve Austin tells me that the only match that he ever watches back anymore is that one that he had with me at WrestleMania 13. And I don't know that you can get that from a, from a lot of wrestlers, especially ones that uh, sort of... Um, controlled who they worked with you've just mentioned there that you could pull a great match out of anybody and i've literally been sat here throughout this entire interview trying to to think of a match that that wasn't that good with bret hart in it and I, and I really can't think of one so i think my question to you right now is who was your favorite person to work against in the ring and on the flip side of that who did you really not want to work with who did you hate getting in the ring with um my favorite wrestler to work with would probably always always will be uh, Kurt Henning. I think um, Mr. Perfect and me had uh, you know a really um, close relationship and a uh, uh, deep amount of respect for one another, and uh, we worked so well together all the time. And it was always uh, like a pleasure when you came back. It was always like you just knew that you'd you know you left it all in the field kind of thing. It was never you know we never cut any corners. Sometimes we used to joke about kind of thinning down our match and not working so hard for one night because we would maybe had gone out too late <laughs> and stuff. Every time we got in the ring, we just did the whole, we never ever, never edited anything out of our matches and we always gave everybody 100%. And I would work with Kurt Henning, uh, you know, days and days and days in a row and it was always long matches every night and uh, it, was just, it was just a dream to work with him. I wish every wrestler, every wrestling fan could just experience in some way what it was like to work with a consummate professional like Kurt Henning. And there's nothing that could come close to that. My brother Owen was also in that same category. He was, you know, just a great guy to work with. And you knew that you were safe. You knew that you were going to have a special match every night. And there was, there was a lot of love and chemistry in the match that was brought together by the two people in it. And it, it was always special. But as far as the worst guy I ever worked with. Um, um, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe the spoiler. <laughs> the guy I wrestled when I first got to WWF that uh, had a chip on his shoulder because of the way they were using him or something. A big mask guy named Don Jardine. He, he, um, he just didn't want to work. He didn't want to cooperate. Didn't want to do anything. I don't think he even had any problem with me. He just was in a bad mood and he just it was like wrestling a tree stump every night <laughs> he couldn't do anything I could barely, in the end I had to kind of uh, forcefully kind of take him down and wrestle him whether he liked it or not and uh, I don't think that sat well with him and he always kind of you know had trouble looking him in the eye after that I had to kind of tweak him a bit in the ring but guys like that were probably the he was probably comes to mind as the you know, one of the guys that last looked forward to ever rolling my eyes when I saw his name on the lineup. Like, oh, God, again, <laughs> me and Don. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you could. 
you know, have anything close to a half-ass match with that guy. But Vader was always uh, uh, no fun to work with either. He's a good buddy of mine and everything, but he was kind of like wrestling in a cement truck. And Bill Goldberg was no picture <laughs> either. Bill Goldberg was, uh, you know, I always loved Bill, and I still like him and consider him a good friend of mine too. But uh, he was a very dangerous guy to work with. And in some ways, when I think of the concussion injury that he hurt, put me out of wrestling with, you know, I should count my blessings because I'm probably lucky I didn't get killed. Mm. That kick that he had uh, was coming right from my jaw, and I turned my head, which maybe, you know, caused it's where I got kicked in the back of the head for that injury. But I always think about what would have happened if I hadn't turned my head. He probably would have, you know, I, I don't even, I hate to even think about it. It's that bad that it would be like someone taking a baseball bat to your face and, that, and swinging it as hard as they can. Mm. It was that kind of impact. And, uh, he was the, one of the most dangerous guys I ever had to work with, and that's that's when you really don't want to work with somebody when they're dangerous. One of the you mentioned Goldberg there, and of course that was during your WCW tenure. Now, since WCW closed down, there's been a lot of people coming out the woodwork saying how bad the company was run. We know you didn't have the best experience in WCW, but what was it like backstage? What was it like for you um, going to the company, interacting with Nash, Hall, Hogan, Bischoff, uh, running the show? Um, it was so unorganized and stupid. There was no, no such thing as logic. Eric Bischoff knew about as much about wrestling as I know about rocket science. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I don't. I I've come over the years to. I kind of love Eric Bischoff because he gave me a nice contract, but he was um, uh, pretty close to a pathological liar. And uh, you know, I don't know if he ever meant a word he said. I don't know. You know, like I really don't know what what they could have been thinking when they signed me and did with me what they did. They just really uh, I, like as a company. I I don't know. Like someone should should have had their head examined or I don't know how they could uh, justify so much um, spending so much money to get somebody and then uh, you know just basically leave them on the bench for two years when it was, you know I remember they were sort of in need of uh, you know WWF was getting stronger and eventually did come back and take over right after uh, Wrestlemania uh, in 98 but they, uh, instead of uh, doing more and trying to um, get more competitive, they seem to, you know, just get even more stupid. And, uh, you know, I, I can't fault anybody but maybe Eric Bischoff and uh, whoever was in charge of him, be it Hogan or all those cronies, whether it was Kevin Nash or Kevin Sullivan. Or, I never did know. It was like a, a ship. You couldn't find the captain of it. Eric mm -hmm. Bischoff was the captain, but... He, you know, like I said in my book, he was more like the Wizard of Oz, where he knew how to pull the levers and make noises and stuff, but didn't really know how to do anything important. <laughs> now, in as we mentioned at the top of the interview, the class of 2006 WWE Hall of Fame, it came after the release of the the Bret Hart DVD, which was a, a, a great success. Were you surprised at all to get the call from Vince to say you're going into the Hall of Fame? And, and what was it like for you going back to a, to a WWE-run event, being backstage with the current crop at that time, superstars, and some of the past, and also 
when do you think the call is going to come for the legendary Owen Hart to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? Um, I don't know. I, I think it'll it's bound to happen. Maybe it'll come this year. Maybe it'll come next year. I don't know. But I'm sure it'll happen. I can't see, you know, I think not only just Owen, but my dad. And mm. for that matter, they could induct a few other people that I know from, like, contributed to the wrestling up here. But, um... The call I got from Vince was more when I had my stroke. Uh, I'd been in the hospital, and that was where we talked about it. Maybe someday doing a anthology or what I, what eventually became my uh, DVD. And we kind of things kind of softened or thawed out a little bit. And I've always felt that uh, the conversation I had with Vince in the hospital uh, did a lot for my confidence at the time, and. Uh, I really did appreciate him calling me, and I think he knew that. And uh, we've had a relatively copacetic kind of relationship since then. You know, if I need something from them or they need something from me, we're at least uh, in a position now where we can talk to each other on the phone. And you know, I, I, you can only be so mad for so long about something, yeah. especially when you have to add up. You know, there's so many other things that I've had to go through in my life that were of more impact or more uh, significance than what happened at Montreal. But Montreal was a, was a defining moment in my life. And I'll always um, be proud of how I carried my head that day. And uh, I think no matter what, they'll always try to downplay that or minimize that or somehow blur it a bit and make themselves look like not so bad or maybe they were, you know... They weren't. They were. You know, I like to. I like it. I get a kick out of when they always try to reason that they did what they did because Vince had to because they were worried I was going to drop the belt in the garbage can on their WWCW TV show. And that's just so ridiculous because a, it couldn't happen. The belt was uh, copyrighted by by uh, WWF at the time, and if you. They are already were suing them for Alundra Blaze doing the same thing, and and they won. Mm-hmm. It would already been, you know, it would almost be insane for someone to do it again because they just lost the first time they did it. So that was never a question that it would happen again. But they continually used that as an excuse for what happened, almost like their hands were tied and they didn't know what else they could do, and they tried everything. And that's such a bunch of baloney that uh, you know, just a another lie on top of so many lies that they told. Now, shifting gear slightly, the, the next generation of the Hart family are making impressive waves in the WWE, of course. Uh, David Hart-Smith, Natalia Neidhart, and TJ Wilson, the Hart dynasty. Um, since their debut in the in the WWE, how do you think they're progressing? Oh, I think they're doing great. I think they're all doing really good. And I think, you know, you have to be careful that, um, you know, like in my case, like uh, I was always anxious to get a push you know, get get to the top of the heap as early as possible, and I, I think everybody is. They're always driving for the top, and uh, but you know, I I made my, they made me work for my my uh, my run, and my my climb to the top was a long took me took me a long time to get any kind of uh, recognition in WWF, and uh, it took years of tag wrestling and then Intercontinental and. You know, when I finally won the world title, uh, it was stuff. It was something that uh, nobody believed could ever happen. You know, including me. And um, I had to 
sort of struggle through a lot of tough years and you know your hopes get dashed a lot of time and you 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 somehow hang in there long enough and you, the break comes and when I think of the dynasty I think of um you know they've paid their dues and they're working really hard and you know they're they're slowly getting uh uh the recognition they deserve and you know they just for them it's just um it's a long road to the top and how close they are is hard to tell sometimes, but I think they're on their way. And it's like I've always said about wrestling: is you can't with good wrestlers is that uh, you can't stop talent. And all three of them have uh, an incredible amount of talent, and I'm glad that they're making use of them now. Okay, and uh, of course, the WWE of today is um, very different to when you last worked for for WWE. And you were very outspoken in the uh, mid '90s about the direction of WWE when it was going the the attitude. Uh, for want of a better term, uh, root, and now they they've gone back to the uh, PG. They're more uh, geared towards kids. Um, going back again to, to kind of that early '90s mentality and making it family entertainment. What what do you think of of the direction of WWE at the moment? Um, I'm happy enough with it. I think um, you know I'm I think it's the wrestlers themselves that are um, you know I think there's some great wrestlers in the WWE. I think uh, Molina is. The girl wrestlers, you know, to me is really um, creative and imaginative, and she's an innovator and she comes up with some great matches. I love watching her wrestle. She's in a lot of ways, I think she's the best wrestler in the world right now. Um, Randy Orton is a great uh, champion and a great wrestler. Uh, John Cena, you know, he's he sort of represents. Uh, he's like the, the, you know, the 2010 version of Bret Hart. He's fans, I think. Um, see him as a as a real decent upstanding sort of human being and i think that's how the wrestlers feel about him i think everybody including the company sort of they they stand by him as a jam up kind of guy and everyone i've ever known that i've only met him i think maybe once and if not maybe not at all but he's a guy that is really passionate and uh you know he's a guy that will give everything he's got to his fans and uh um, they're a company who I hope will stand by him, and I think he's uh, he's represented the company really well. And I think you look at all kinds of guys like Batista. And I know Batista and Cena maybe are limited sometimes with their wrestling skills and things like that. But overall, their personal personalities and their their overall um, sort of what they offer as a, or their gimmicks or their characters um, stand for are they're they're good. Like they 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 make uh, they have a strong presence in wrestling. <clears throat> there's so many wrestlers like that. I think there's some, you know, you look at say someone like Chris Jericho, he, you know, he's, um, I think he's been turned into a excellent villain. You know, he's a, easy to hate and he carries that off well. And, you know, even, um, you know, there'll only be one Andre the Giant, but, you know, the big show has been, you know, he's been doing a, a heck of a job for such a big man to, you know, work with smaller guys and, you know, I tip my hat to him. You know, and even guys like um, Jeff Hardy, who's not there anymore, and I know he's had all kinds of issues uh, in the last few months. But, I mean, for me, having watched him in the last six months, I mean, I've been greatly entertained by him as a performer. I hope whatever happened to him, uh, you know, he, you know, that he gets through it and gets back uh, gets back to the wrestling where, uh, where he belongs. He's definitely an innovator and uh a special one-of-a-kind wrestler. And uh, if you look at the WWE, there's a lot of talent there. There's some great wrestlers. And, 
you know, I just hope that uh, I think where they really need to make some changes is with their story writers or the people that are coming up with the the um, the, the the drama and the wrestling. I think that could be much improved. And uh, as far as the talent goes and the wrestlers go, I think there's as much talent today as there ever was in wrestling. And I'm I'm finding myself more and more every week intrigued by the different characters that I see and. Uh, I look forward to watching Randy Orton wrestle and uh, Legacy, and there's some great wrestlers out there doing some great things. I think uh, DiBiase is, uh, you know, a lot of ways is quite capable of being uh, the best wrestler in the world right now. You know, he's he's, you know, I watch how he moves and the things he does in the ring, and you know, he could be as good as anybody that ever put on a pair of boots. Now. It, it has been reported over the last few weeks from various new sites, uh, wrestling new sites, including Observer, that there has been uh, discussions between yourself and Vince McMahon about you returning to the WWE at some point in some role. Can you clarify, have any discussions actually taken place between you and Vince, and are you open to returning back as an on-air character at WWE? No, I, I don't know anything about it. I think it, I can only just add that into all the rumors that I hear about myself all the time. You know, I don't think anyone's a secret that, uh, you know, they, I've been uh, um, approached sometimes about, about doing some things with the WWF, but uh, nothing uh, of late, and I certainly, uh, I think uh, you know, maybe somebody's floating ideas about maybe me hosting a Raw or something like that, but I can say in all honesty that that nobody's come to me about that concept yet, and uh, you know, I I occasionally talk to WWF about certain things, uh, you know, royalty checks and things. I'd like to try to do a second and a third DVD, and there are some dealings with us, but nothing in the relation, nothing of what I've been reading. And I think, you know, I read rumors about me coming out at uh, in Montreal or in Toronto a few weeks back when they had Raw there and the pay per view in Montreal. And you hear these things, and I know so many people are convinced that I'm going to come out and walk through the curtain, and they play my music, and it's sort of a letdown. Or I think they did that even in Calgary here. Yeah. But um, there's nothing that I I know of in relation to that. Okay. Um, the the only other promotion we haven't touched on yet is, of course, TNA. Um, what are your thoughts on on TNA as a promotion and how effective it is against against WWE as competition? Well, I think that what they should do is, um, well, it's probably pretty simple. They should maybe take Vince Russo um, and, and hang him by the neck somewhere in the back of the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I find the wrestlers they get as good a wrestlers as uh, as um, as uh, WWE in a lot of ways. I think Samoa Joe is a great wrestler. AJ Styles may may in fact be the best wrestler in the world too. Is another phenomenal wrestler and just a great athlete. And a, I mean, I just love watching him wrestle. And Kurt Angle is a great wrestler. And there's some there's some really good talent there. But I find that the and WWE is the similar too with the the hokey storylines where they got the camera on somebody backstage and they pretend, they're pretending that they don't see the camera, but they're plotting and scheming and they're going to... All this bad acting that goes on is just enough <laughs> to make me stick my finger down my throat and wonder how anyone can watch this crap. And, <laughs> and I think that rests solely on the shoulders of the writers uh, in wrestling. And uh, these people don't know anything about wrestling. 
they really need to go back to what wrestling really is, and it's not about what they think it is. Like Vince Russo knows about as much about wrestling as Eric Bischoff does, and neither one of them knows shit about anything. And, um, you know, so I find it really bizarre that uh, you, um, that the, that Vince McMahon or uh, the lady in uh, TNA would uh, hire such imbeciles to call the shots and run. I mean, some of them aren't so bad, I guess, or maybe as people, but, uh, and I don't have any personal grudge against Vince Russo, but I just know watching the shows that all his shows look the same. He, he, he TNA's turned into sort of a, just sort of a, another version of WCW when, when I was with Russo there. And, you know, I just think that, uh, the best wrestling always needs to pretend to be real. And mm-hmm. Vince Russo's wrestling is so pathetically uh, far-fetched and phony that I, I think he, he does a disservice to his wrestlers and the business. And I think WWE sometimes does the same thing with the bad acting and the little sketches in the back. I think it's pathetic. One of the things that you documented very well in your book and, of course, in your early stage of your career was Stampede Wrestling. Um, talking about TNA and the promotions, would you ever be willing to to recreate stampede wrestling become a promoter yourself of course your father the legendary Stu Hart, ran stampede um owned stampede turned it into a a global phenomenon would you want to carry that tradition on and also do you think there is room in the u.s for another big promotion to launch i think there's always room for another promotion in wrestling i think um as you can Guess just from the way I'm talking, I think there's a lot of talent out there. There's some really great wrestlers. Some of the stuff that wrestlers are doing, even in Ring of Honor, there's some really phenomenal hard workers there, and in wrestling in general. And I think that uh, someone just needs to point them in the right direction a little more. As for uh, another wrestling company or my involvement, I'd be happy to be. Uh, you know, on the ground floor or something like that. But I, and I think I could make an impact. I mean, I think I could be part of a wrestling company that gives you something different. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's really easy to lose everything you worked for. It might take you a long time to make a lot of money and save it and put it in the bank. And then you get an idea to open up a bar or a sports bar or a, get into the wrestling again and you could lose everything you got in a few months and find yourself in a pretty dangerous place. Absolutely. Um, before we, we sort of wind the interview up, tell everyone about the, uh, the, the tour that you're going to be part of American wrestling rampage in Germany. Um, if you have the opportunity now to uh, talk to a lot of the fans in the in the UK um, via this show, I remember uh, back in 2000, going back to some of my experiences, uh, one of the WCW tours, I think, uh, as part of that tour, sort of mid-show, you were coming out and, and saying your thank yous to uh, the wrestling fans in the UK and Europe. But um, any any words that you've got now for fans in the UK and, and internationally, uh, now you've got the opportunity? Well, I never like to keep throwing the same sort of lines out, but I never know when I'll be back. You know, I always think, like last year when I, when I was in uh, France and um, Ireland, it was really special for me because I never thought I'd ever get a chance to see my fans in France ever again. I knew I was there a few times, and uh, 
that they remembered me and I just always wanted to go back and it kind of gave me a bit of a um, closure in some ways. And same with Ireland, I never thought I'd get back there, but I did. And, and now it's Germany's turn and it's uh, I don't know when I'll get back to Germany again. I I think the last time I was there I told what fans came out to, to one of the, I think it was a Schaffenberg or something like that that I did a appearance at and I remember saying that I thought this would be the last time they'd ever see me so I, I see the same thing again it's like um, you know I'm going to go back to Germany this is a very meaningful special trip for me because I always had uh, such special uh, fans in Germany and I know wrestling in Germany has never been the same since uh, the Montreal Screwdriver I've been told by uh, Vince McMahon he even told me that he said that never came back he said after what happened to me, they lost the German market, and it was never the same after that. And uh, I think that says that a lot of my fans uh, turned their back on wrestling because of what happened to me. And uh, for them to do that and give up something that they love that much is uh, says a lot about the relationship I had with my audience there. And uh, it's a, a, a special thing for me to go back to Germany. Maybe it's special, more special than any any uh, tour I could do of this type. I mean, it's, um, I think of all the fans, including here in Canada, I don't think anybody loved me more than my German fans. I mean, they really, really loved me. And uh, I can't, I, I can't uh, put it into words, but I just, I know that uh, it's different than Hulkamania or any other wrestler. I don't think uh, came close to could, could come close to understanding what it was like. And I can remember a lot of wrestlers were awestruck by it at the time. I can remember lots of them couldn't believe it. It was like Beatlemania when they'd chase you down the streets and people sleeping in the lobbies of the hotels. And I know they did that in England too. Yeah, but the German fans and the English fans at that time, 92, 93, 94, 95, they were so, um, so good to me and so... Uh, uh, supportive and uh, I don't know I don't know of any anything any higher compliment I can pay to them to come back other than to come back and hope that they'll come out to see the shows that the American Rampage has and uh, you know you know kind of enjoy wrestling again with me uh, as part of it and uh, you know I don't know sometimes it's you always feel a little awkward going to these things because you you know you're not one of the wrestlers, and you know you can't wrestle, and you know you can't really give them what they really want and go out there and give them a match or something. But uh, I wish I could do more, but this is sort of all I got left. And uh, I'm glad that uh, if this opportunity never comes again, that at least I'll go back to some of these cities and had a chance to say goodbye. Well, let's talk about the tour. As you've mentioned, it's American Wrestling Rampage. It's called the European Invasion Tour 2009. If you want more information on that, you can head over to awrwrestling.com. Now, the dates are going to be Thursday, November the 26th from Mannheim in Germany. Friday, November 27th from uh, Regensburg in Germany. Saturday, November the 28th from Bamberg. And Sunday, November the 29th from Essen. Brett, do you know who you're going to be sharing the card with uh, on this tour? Can you tell us some of the names? Well, I know that uh, Rod Van Dam is going to be on the card. And I know, um, um, uh, I think maybe Tatanka, I'm not sure. I know um, 
Um, Scotty Puhati might be on the tour. It's a lot of the same guys that are on the tour last year in uh, Ireland and France. Um, I'm not 100% sure the whole roster will know. Okay, well, for anyone who's interested in American Wrestling Rampage, we will put all of the details on our forums at ministryofslam.com, but head on over to awrwrestling.com for all of the information on European Invasion Tour 2009. And just before we finish up, um, can you clarify the position? Um, we know your book's now coming out in paperback, paperback version. Um, what are the release dates as far as that goes? I know, I think it's is it out in Canada already, but waiting for an international release? No, I think, um, I'm not sure um, the paperback release will be quite soon in both the U.S. and uh, there's the pocketbook, I think, is the next uh, release here in Canada. Okay. And right now, the paperback, which is a softcover or hardcover kind of, it's still a big, good-sized book with just got a softer cover. Hmm. That's not going to come up in the next few um, months in the U.S. And I'm sure, it'll, like, about maybe next next fall or something like that. I think it'll be probably coming out in uh, soft cover over in Europe. I would hope that um, you know wrestling fans will still get a chance to try to pick up my book in hardcover while it's still out there. I know um, most of these publishers, they put them out on hardcover and then they, they recall them all back and I think they burn them all or something like that. So they're not, they're not, they're not but it's, I think my book, if you're a real wrestling fan, you'd like to have it in hardcover because it's the kind of thing that, uh, I don't think, uh, too many wrestlers will be writing a book as accurate. I mean, I had so much more to work with than most wrestlers do as far as my tapes went. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I guess the luck of having, uh, so much of it on video. Absolutely. Brett, it, it's been absolutely phenomenal talking to you and uh, a real, I mean, sort of personally for us as as wrestling fans who, who watched it late 80s and early 90s and, and grew up through that as fans. It's been uh, absolutely great speaking to you. Um, if you could stay on the line for just uh, just a minute, we're going to cut and, uh, and go to a commercial break now. Uh, Brett, the Hitman Heart, everybody. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back with more after these words. <laughs> 